Hello, everyone. Um, thanks for joining us tonight on Film Roundtable. Uh, I'm Erin Weil, and I'm one of the co-founders of this platform. And we have a really great panel tonight um, that my dear friend Mishka Brown is going to moderate for us. She's an old friend, an amazing producer. Um, so I'm going to pass it off to her. And just quickly, I want to thank Ari Rental for sponsoring us. And um, to let everybody know out there, we have a podcast now, and you can find Film Roundtable on Spotify, on Apple, on all the all the podcast platforms out there. So, um, so without further ado, Mishka, please take over. Thank you so much. Thanks, and, uh, Aaron. Yeah, great night. Um, I want to say thanks to Aaron and Maria and the entire Film Roundtable team. Um, the quarantine, during the quarantine, the roundtables were a personal comfort. Um, so I'm glad that they're continuing. And um, I wanted to, uh, before we get started, let's take a moment of silence here to honor all of the 1,159,603 reported worldwide COVID deaths as of today. We would also like to honor all of our black and brown brothers and sisters, as well as our First Nations brothers and sisters whose lives have been taken by the hands of police brutality and other senseless acts of violence. There are so many names to say, but tonight I will just name Walter Wallace Jr., 27 years old, who was murdered in front of his mother in the streets of Philadelphia yesterday. Okay. Um, so please welcome uh, this wonderful panel of documentary filmmakers. I'll start with Allison, Allison Clayman, who I've had the pleasure of working with for the past few years. Um, she's the director of many films, but most relevant to this conversation is The Brink. Um, it follows Steve Bannon around the world in the lead up to the 2018 midterm elections. Um, also here is filmmaker and activist Sabah Falayan. Um, and Damon Davis, multi-hyphenate artist, filmmaker, sculptor, animator, musician, and Sabah and Damon um, are co-directors of Who's Streets, which is about the uprising in Ferguson after Michael Brown was murdered by police in 2017. And last but not least is Michelle Lears, who, um, is a director of Knock Down the House that follows four progressive working class women in 2018 as they run for Congress. Um, this year, because of COVID and I was quarantining with two little kids who were not in school and the police, kid, you guys know the story, the police killings and the protests and life being turned upside down, you know, 
I feel a new urgency around like being more deliberate about what projects I want to work on, who I want to work with, how I want to work, you know, why filmmaking. Um, and that is why it's a particular pleasure to be here with all of you today, October 27th, 2020, one week before the election. And you guys are all, sorry, not guys, you all are thoughtful artists doing important work. You take the time to do deep dives, you know, into subjects political subjects, social subjects, and you do real, you know, imaginative thinking for the rest of us, things we don't have time to do. So not just the time, but the privilege, you know, sometimes like curiosity to do. So I'm thinking that this conversation is a opportunity to step back from the immediate craziness and noise around the election. Um, but go vote if you haven't yet <laughs> and take a deep breath um, and a longer view of things, you know, based on the experiences of making your films and your art, you know, so let's talk about the future, the different types of future that each of you envision as utopian or dystopian as your hearts or minds and mind's desire. Um, and you're all professional question askers. So feel free to jump in and ask each other questions and just have a conversation. But um, Rachel, do you wanna start? Um, are we going to be all right? <laughs> are, are we going to be all right? I, I don't know. Um, I don't think anybody knows. I think we, a, a lot of people feel that the dystopia is all around. I think um, some communities have been feeling that for a very long time. Others might just be starting to feel that this year a little bit. But um, I, for me, I think I have, uh, it's, it becomes a matter of faith. I'm, I'm not a spiritual person in the traditional sense, but I, I've, I do have a kind of a faith that I, I have to believe that some kind of better world is possible. And that comes from my experience in social movements. I was, I've been involved in on the ground organizing and since Occupy Wall Street and been making films about organizing, spent several years in the labor movement and several years working around grassroots electoral campaigns. And now I'm embedded in the climate justice movement. So I, you know, I believe in these kind of, people power organizing frameworks outside of government and um, the, the, the real inherent power of building multiracial coalitions and alignments around the connections and overlaps between the issues that affect us and drive our, our individual community-based action. So I think what I'm really focused on right now with the election is, you know, it's an important step. Everyone should vote, of course, tell your friends, get someone else to vote. But, but it's, elections aren't the end goal of political participation. For me, I really, I think that uh, it's, you're choosing your adversary <laughs> if you're in a movement. You're choosing, you know, the, the ground on which you want your movement to operate. 
um, you know, if you look at the presidential administrations in our history that have presided over transformative change, um, Lincoln, FDR, even Johnson, uh, they all had to be pressured in serious ways by movements. None of them came in there with, you know, those guiding ideas. So I, I, I don't know if we're going to be okay, but uh, I, I believe in the movements that are happening and it's the, it, it's the only source of hope that I have in spite of how uh, deep the, the pain and anger is that, that motivates so much of the action. Damon, <laughs> same question. I was hoping I went last. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm. I'm. Uh, the 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 I'm. I'm the the words that come to mind for me is like exhausted and, and jaded, uh, quite frankly, about a lot of about humanity in general uh, right now, and and um, but also so like there was something that that is irrationally hopeful. For, for 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 what's to come, and I, I don't know if that's built in through evolution or what. I don't I don't fully understand it, but I, I do think I second a lot of what Rachel said, and I, especially the part about you not you you're not picking a champion, you're picking an opponent uh, in, in in these elections, and the and, and the only reason that that I, I feel that uh, that black people, especially, but but women, uh, queer people, anybody should be voting that ain't a white man. Is to mitigate harm. That's what's gonna come to you because those those two people are not here to, to they're not here to fight for you or to be your friend or to make your world any easier. Um, but but you you what what you picking is yeah who 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 you step in the ring with to push them um, in a direction to to keep you alive. And at the, at the end of the day, I think it's gonna be a lot more about. Um, internal community work. That's what I don't seen work. I, I like I like I, all of the. And, and people um, love to tell you to go vote, go vote and have no, do nothing for four years. Do not like do nothing whatsoever politically. Not, don't educate themselves whatsoever. Um, it's the laziest possible thing you could do is just go vote. Um, and so I also don't agree with the idea that my, my ancestors died for me to vote. They died for me to have a choice and to be an, an intelligent human being and um, and then, you know, and, and, and use the intelligence to 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 make the right decision, um, not just not just to uh, be bullied into another decision um, by by the status quo. So 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 it's it's a very I got a lot of complex feelings around a lot of uh, a lot of this, um, and I and I I also think um, we on the brink of something. I don't I don't think we in a revolutionary moment just yet. But I do think we in a resist. I think what we watching is resistance, and then that's the edge of. I think we pushing into the into a revolutionary moment. And I think that uh, uh, I don't think we uncomfortable enough yet. At least a certain sector uh, of of our society is uncomfortable enough yet for us to see this this change that we are talking about. Um, and I and and I and I'm not gonna lie to myself and say that I'm not. I haven't moved into that sector because of the. Um, I guess the, the acclaim or whatever the, the success that I had, and though I didn't work for it, and my and I got my own life experiences, and they might have been harder than somebody else's. I just know that um, capitalism doesn't make it easy for people to live 
fulfilled lives. And, um, and, and so just cause I'm in a comfortable place today, I know I could go back at any moment. And I also know that it's somebody else is way worse off than I ever was. And, and, and so uh, when, when we talking about these elections, all those things must be factored in. So when you vote, you're not just voting for you. you. You know what I'm saying? You're not just voting for for, for your life experience or for you. You, you, you voting to even the score for everybody and even might mean you giving something up. And so, um, again, I got, I got, I got a lot going through my head around this whole thing. But one thing I'm not is surprised by any of these white men or, 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 the, or, the, or the United States political structure whatsoever. I've seen it over and over again in my adult life. And it was going on a long time before I got here. So I'm, I'm, I'm real clear on what's happening. Is and it's very good that a lot of people are very engaged, but it shouldn't have took a plague, and you know, <laughs> it shouldn't have took biblical fucking God thunderstruck for for people to see um, that the world is fucked up for most most of us, you know. So, um, but I'm, I'm I'm thankful for it, um, but it, but it's like, uh, hopefully hope, hopefully it's enough to push us into the into the, a, a new direction that is more equitable for everybody. Allison, do you want to speak on this at all? Um, you've had a uh, closer look than most into <laughs> some of the um, somebody that could be an opponent, you know? Yeah. Um, well, Damon, what you know, you just brought up feeling like we're at the brink. That's not a coincidence that was, you know, the title I picked ultimately for uh, the movie that I made as a result of spending 13 months at Steve Bannon's side um, and kind of seeing into his world and seeing the world from his vantage point. Um, but something else you said reminded me of one of the like earlier workshopping. I'm not great at titles for movies. Um, and often it comes to the last second. Uh, but there was one that, there was one moment while I was shooting that I really got excited about the title, Adults in the Room, because it was this moment where it had, it held so many meanings uh, for me. One was kind of realizing, it was actually listening to Bannon talk with some of his, you know, peers complaining about the the adults in the room from all the years that like Democrats were in charge and you know his perceived enemies and complaining about how they treated everyone like idiots and you know whatever and just the notion of adults in the room I think a lot of the people I think I think the biggest thing that we're all realizing or we've all already known because that's the whole thing here what do we who's like figuring something out for the first time and what's something that people have kind of known for a long time is like there really aren't any adults in the room or like, you know, and, and I think that's where the question of like, whether we feel optimistic or completely devastated in this moment can come because you either think, holy shit, there's no adults in the room. And like, what, are, what are we going to do? Or maybe I thought there were adults or there used to be adults and now there's no adults. And what are we going to do? Or you realize like, we have to save ourselves. And you know, that, was a feeling that I just remember having, you know, 
standing behind a camera, just silently taking in, you know, the stuff that I was taking in. Um, and I think that uh, that's where you can be facing something that seems really like devastating, but also you can choose to, you know, lie down in, in this moment. And I think a little bit, some of the people who are like really, I mean, every moment is can be crushing right now, but if you thought that there were adults or you thought there were like champions to use your word and you're like, oh my God, where did all the champions go? I guess this would be a very hard moment, <laughs> you know, and you'd have to like process that. Um, but I think that, you know, one of the ways to move forward is, is just letting go of that, of that notion of like that the people in charge wherever the adults in the room are the ones that were like leading the way. And I think that that's like a liberating and empowering way to move forward, but it can be scary too. Yeah. Scary and you have to take a lot of responsibility, right? You know, on yeah. to yourself. Um, Sabah, I would love to hear your answers to the question, but I was also listening to an interview that you did around the time when Who Streets came out. And it was like mind blowing to me that you weren't a filmmaker before you went to um, Ferguson. So um, I'd like to hear your take on whether you'd be all right. But I'm like specifically curious about your transition from like med school to filmmaking, you know? I can't, I th are you on mute? No, um, do you wanna How try? Yes. Okay, great. <laughs> Um, okay, so I'll see if I can sort of answer both of those questions at once. I appreciate everything that everyone just said. Um, I'm from LA. Um, I grew up around like 41st and Figueroa. If anybody knows who that is, you probably don't, but um, it's near USC, similar to how Harlem is near Columbia, like it's a hood next to, um, next to a college. And I feel like my upbringing, you know, my mom, I was raised in an environment where we talked about white supremacy, what it was, we, I was forewarned that people would be trying to undermine and sabotage my sense of self from a really early age. So I went to Columbia. I started to become, you know, I was pre-med, I studied biology. And I thought that if I could just do science, it, I would be in this meritocracy and I could just prove myself with my brain and I wouldn't have to you know, deal with racism and all these other social issues, I was really kind of rejecting this very Afrocentric upbringing that I had and trying to fit into what I thought was going to make me secure. Um, and by the end of those four years, it became super clear that there was really no getting away from it. And I was confronting it even more as a Black woman in science. So I was like, you know, that kind of just activated my spirit. And I was looking for a way to feel more connected to the work I was doing. I worked at a reentry organization, a nonprofit um, that dealt with people in and out of jails, and I got to do strategic planning there. So I got to see 
was probably a 200 person org. So I got to see how an organization worked and I knew that it just wasn't for me. Um, I, I couldn't see myself working my way up an organization that was trying to bring people, you know, mass incarceration is obviously a racist system. And then the organization, if you just look at the structure of it, it's white at the top and brown on the bottom. And everybody met very well, but, you know, the system itself was flawed. And so that's what, that contract was a year and a little bit before that was over, Mike Brown Jr. was killed. It was going down in Palestine that same summer. And that was when Palestine, that summer of 2014, was when I realized there were no adults in the room. And I was like, oh, <laughs> there's no adults in the room. So when Mike Brown Jr. was killed and I saw Black folks in St. Louis standing up, it felt, it activated something, you know, from my earliest upbringing where I was like, it's time. You know, I just felt like I was activated. And I think, you know, storytelling is in all of us. And then also when you, when you do something that you're called to do, you know, your timeline sometimes looks a little bit different when you're really walking in that purpose. And it was just like, it was just like a moment of surrender. I didn't know what was going to happen, um, but I just felt like I had to do it. And then luckily I linked up with Damon Davis, who was a seasoned artist. And from there, the ball just, just really got work rolling. But I think, like you said, faith, I think that was definitely an act of faith that we stepped on, set that on to make this film. Um, and I think what got me there is, is, are we going to be all right? I mean, I'm going to be all right to the extent that I got breath in my body. I'm grateful to be alive. You know, life is an absolute miracle. Like, what are the chances, you know what I mean, to be a sentient being of all things and then to be able to be born in this country and then all the personal layers of blessings that I have. Like, you know, I'm, I'm fundamentally ecstatic, <laughs> which is crazy because I'm also absolutely furious. I'm also spiraling. I'm also enraged. You know what I mean? And I'm going to take this opportunity. I'm not even going to give too much of a disclaimer. I'm going to say that because this is a moment where people are focused politically and, you know, so inundated, I'm going to talk about people who don't vote and why they don't vote and what and how damaging it is the way that we frame that choice, right? Because people are not not voting because they don't care. People are not not voting because they don't think Maybe they don't know how politics affect their lives, but what they do know is that something is deeply amiss that has nothing to do with who's in our office every four years. Has absolutely nothing to do with it. It was Obama, it was under the Obama administration that kicked off this movement for black lives. And so as long as we continue to, during this political moment, as long as we continue to be myopic and use a moralizing and superior voice about the topic of whether or not to vote, we will consistently miss this media window in which we could be building solidarity. Because as somebody who refuses to judge people who don't vote, the conversations that I'm able to have, they start out, people don't, I don't want to talk about it, don't go there, you're not going to like it, I'm like, no, it's okay, let's talk. And their relationships are being built and discussions are being had. And it may be eight conversations more and I may be able to convince them participating in your local election, at least you want to determine who's the DA in, in your district. But we can't have those conversations if people of privilege are saying, we'll get to a revolution eventually as long as we keep it neat and cool and safe and not too loud. And those of us who are in positions of privilege are missing out on 
still a vast array of information that is essential information. And we think, and because we're still bought into the system, we may be bought out of the, of the Trump part of it, but we're still bought into the bigger picture, the consumerism, the greed, the image focus, all of that stuff. And we're missing huge pieces of the puzzle and the talent pool. The people who are most ready are the people that are not voting. <laughs> like if we're on the brink and some people are in the middle, some people, those are the motherfuckers that would be ready if anything was gonna go down. So I feel like I see a crucial mistake and if we fix it, we can be all right, is we need to change the way that we talk to each other, the way that we look at each other amongst the left. And we need to have some respect for difference of opinion, some patience, some care, and we need to be a little bit more disgusted about what's going on. It's like we're jumping the gun of being like, well, I'm not negative. Well, I'm not negative. And I know we need to stay positive, but like, I think we need to have a little bit more attitude. Like this shit is fucked up. I'm in Philly. That was up the street for me. I'm mad. Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? I don't, I have hope fundamentally, but I don't always want to talk, like have to like reassure everybody that it's okay. Like shit is not okay. So that's where I am with it. That's what I got. I'm negative. That's why I wanted to go last. <laughs> I'm always on that. Um, yeah, and personally, some of the hardest hitting moments of Who Streets for me was like definitely the Obama stuff, you know, um, places where I felt implicated and then def with the end up at the, I don't know if it was a NAACP rally. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, when the people stood up and said, let the kids speak. And they were like philosophical racism, you know, um, anti-racism. Um, but Damon, when I was watching Who's Streets, like I saw it and then I became aware of who you were and knew how you looked. And then I watched it again and I saw that you were in the barbershop scene. I don't, you know, and I don't know if I had ever seen a documentary where, you know, the black person in the barbershop <laughs> chair is actually a director, you know? It's usually yeah. <laughs> it's that's the um, good thing about having two directors, because that was that was that was the whole point in the well, a lot of people don't know is like I was one of the characters for a long time. It was it was we was following like seven people, and whenever it was my turn, I cut off all of that. And Sabah was just the director. It was just like don't think about that. Just be norm as normal as possible with cameras pointed at you. You know, yeah. But um, yeah. I, I mean, is that a first? Is that a Hollywood first? It wasn't in Hollywood, but you know, barbershop scene. Me in the barbershop. But it was deliberate, you're saying? Oh yeah, right. it was very, it was very deliberate. We, um, that's another thing. Um, I want, I, I might, I might be, you know, <laughs> revealing the prestige, but documentaries are not real, everybody. They only as real as we want to make them. And uh, we putting pieces together. It's like a collage. These are real moments, but we putting them together to make a, make a story. We put to paint a picture. It's the difference between what a collage is and what a, what a, what a painting is. If I paint it out of my mind, I made it out of my mind. And it, though, you know, it's just the, the difference between uh, narrative and, and documentary, but you're still telling the story with the pieces you got. So, um, but but we knew we had to uh, get some across. And one thing that I really wanted to do 
um, <clears throat> which showed it to me, like normal black people are not stupid. And then just because I got this country as accent don't mean that I'm not politically astute and, and that all my homies ain't. And that, and like what Sabah was just saying, people ain't voting because, you know, because they like, oh, you know, like that because they don't understand the system. It's because they understand it perfectly because they the ones under the boot of it. So why the fuck would you engage with something that has never been built for you? Uh, I, I hear a lot of people saying that, you know, the system ain't working right now. It's, 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 it's working with precision. It's, it's working perfectly, you know? It's working perfectly. It just ain't working for you because it wasn't, it wasn't made for you. And so one of the things we want to show was show everyday life of black people. So, so we showing all of these different um, every, everyday interactions from a mother to the homies at the bar, a mother taking a, a, a child to school, to the homies at the barbershop, and understanding that these are the same people that everybody say don't got jobs and that they, they you know, they, they rabble rises or whatever. With, um, but those are the people that's out in the street, but they also have everyday lives. So they doing double duty. They doing double shifts for you to have the nation that you want, for, for you to run around and say that everybody's free and stuff like that. And, and so I think that, that was one of the main reasons we, we wanted to do the, the, the barbershop scene, especially for me, I want to go and show, um, especially black men. So you like a boy got shot down and showed it like, that kid could have just been coming from there and hearing all of that, all of that philosophical conversation that was that was taking place um, in that barbershop, you know, and and it's just with like like um, when when we was doing this, my personal main thing was to show that uh, black people in St. Louis were human beings and they were not stupid, um, and so that this shit was it was not by happenstance that this happened. It was not um out of nowhere this is generations of oppression in, in one group and, and and it was it was enough like in, in that one specific place and then it was a microcosm of everything that was happening in the united states but um because we was we was a place that wasn't you know it's not a coastal place it's not a place where, you know people call us a flyover place so um it was just really important to show the depth of these people and i thought the barbershop is just, it's just like church it's a place where people come and they can speak freely, and they 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 lay it down there. And so I thought that it um, that it that it was a good play. Well, I didn't plan to get in the bar with the chair. I, I needed a haircut, and, and Saul was down. It's shit. He let us in. So I was like, let's keep the conversation going. So that was you know another thing. A lot of stuff be happening, so you could keep the mood going, so you could keep everybody talking, to keep uh, good stuff coming out of them. So that's how that's kind of what happened with the barber shop. And me personally being in the chair. Remember that you guys are the professional question askers, so you can ask each other questions. Um, Rachel, um, I saw that Cori Bush, you know, was in St. Louis and in, in running yeah. for a district that represents yeah. Ferguson and is connected. And so I was so curious what you each thought of, you know, each other's films when you saw that it's connected. Yeah, well, I saw Whose Streets before, uh, before, what year did it come out again? It was a while back, a couple of years ago. It would have been before, 2017, before, 2017 you said? Yeah. yeah, so I was in the middle of making Knock Down the House when I saw it. I saw it when it came out. And, um, uh, and I don't, um, I, I was 
starting to work with Corey, but I think I was like looking to see if I saw her in any of the shots. Um, I know, I know she was, uh, she was out there in a lot of the protests. I don't know. If, did you all know each other? Not personally. I, I, I personally was moving back and forth. So right. I might've had more interaction with her out there. Mm -hmm. uh, but I, I, I no, just I've because I live her. Her. Okay. I saw her out there, but she didn't end up becoming a main focus of, of our project. Right. I know more people just because I live here and a bunch of people sure. know her. That's sort her of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it was certainly um it was certainly amazing to see her her win this year. I mean, third time's the charm, you know. It just she's a, I mean, we were talking about how you're not voting for a champion, but sometimes you are with someone like that. So, you know, that that was who I was trying to pick people, but the whole idea of knock down the house was was looking at a, a different type of candidate, people who really came from lived experience of the problems that they would be trying to legislate around and um, and what it would look like to build a path to power for those kinds of people to get to Congress. Is it even possible? And so in 2018, you know, AOC broke down that wall and and Cory uh, Cory Bush uh I mean, I think Alexandria says like, uh, I opened the door so that others could walk through it, right? So then, you know, Corey Kate got through this year and not that it was a walk, bad metaphor. She had to <laughs> break down a whole other set of walls herself to get there. Um, but we also had Jamal Bowman here in, in New York and, and there's there's other folks around the country. So I, I think there's, there is this generational change happening. There's the potential for it, uh, I think a, a, an inside outside strategy of organizing when we have people from movements ending up in the halls of Congress, they, they're allies in a way that, uh, that typical politicians have not been. So I'm, you know, it, it'll be interesting to see how that develops as our, uh, as things move forward. And I would say too, just one other thing is that their their votes, these primary challenges, when someone wins uh, against an entrenched incumbent, like Cory Bush took on a guy who had held his seat for 16 or 18 years, um, and then his father held it for 32 years before that. So it was 50 years of this family dynasty. They were very well known, of course. And, um, you know, it was the amount of legwork that it took to reach people to just get enough name recognition to get enough votes There's a lot of people vote in st louis it's not like new york where you know you can win an election with 15 20 000 votes so um it's it's just phenomenal and what that shows uh i think in uh what that shows is that aoc's election wasn't a fluke that there's a lot of energy for that type of candidate around the country and that and their vote their their the power of that win against an entrenched incumbent is greater than that single vote in congress because then you have other people scared about primary challenges so when the time comes for moving on on big legislation we'll we'll see but uh there is a chance that there that sort of strategy will come into play next year knock on wood is anybody else from uh, Knocked on the House or any other candidates that didn't win? Are they running again? Yeah, week? actually, Paula Jean Swearingen in West Virginia won the Democratic nomination for Senate. 
um, for the other Senate seat, jo not Joe Manchin's, but the other one. So she's running against Shelley Moore Capito, uh, who's the re sitting Republican senator in West Virginia. And it's, I have, they're saying that their internal polling shows it close. You know, we'll see. It's not one of the uh, states that I think is listed as the most flippable, but it's definitely not out of the question. So if, if anyone's interested in getting involved in a, in a race like that, that's that's out there. It's happening. Damon, you talked about making you like use the example of making collages as being something like documentary. I used to love making collages growing up. I wonder if any of you guys did too. Like, and and I Best can't really, <laughs> and I can't really draw very well. Um, but I loved collages, and I feel the same. I mean. I haven't flexed as much in like a narrative way. I'm very comfortable with like real people, real life on the fly, documentary journalism. I just wondered yeah. if you guys felt that way. I definitely love collages and, and I can't draw that well either. And I, <laughs> and I also think narrative is uh, doing the same thing. You, narrative is based in real life or nobody would watch it. You know, like, like you taking, you might be changing the names and stuff or whatever, but it's based in, so, something is real about it. It's just, it's a lot to tell the truth, you know, just like the Bible. Just Sorry like if anybody's <laughs> super religious, but yeah. Something about collages always used to stress me out. Like, I don't know if it's just like all the parts were so different. I would always start them and then be mad immediately. I could, I did draw, I could draw, but I think I, my control issues with collages, I'm like, who are these parts, who are these much. <laughs> I have a question. Okay, I have a question. Since we're, <laughs> since we're imagining the future, you know, it's okay. So imagine it's 2120 and we've changed the system. Because I think there's a difference between changing the system and putting different pieces into different cars into the same machine. And so working on the film that I'm working on right now, I'm working on a documentary about the Equal Rights Amendment, which is a proposed constitutional amendment that would enshrine gender equality in the Constitution because it's 2020 and we don't have that. So, um, but what is striking to me is that the system in and of itself is designed to be so resistant to change, is designed to, to favor white men, and it is it's just like Damon said, it's working just like clockwork and replacing the pieces in the puzzle. It, for me, it doesn't seem so totally promising. I mean, I think like you can look in Virginia right now and Democrats just took the House and the Senate. And yes, they're pushing through all types of, you know, great legislation, but also look at what's happening at the Supreme Court level. You know what I mean? And look at the, the ways in which so many of our games have been repealed. And for me, sometimes within the context of the system, it feels like a tit for tat. It feels like there's always a loophole, always a next move. And because power is entrenched and it's designed for certain people, it's always able to be manipulated. And it's not to undermine the gains that social movements have made because you know, we wouldn't have the weekend if it wasn't for working people and their movements. Like, we have to be so grateful and so honest about the fact that movement does work. Movement is effective. But my question is, do we need 
a president because I almost feel like there's something fundamentally flawed about the idea that any single human being should be the leader of the free world. Like that whole sentence for me feels like then everything that happens from that is what's going to happen from that. So I'm just curious, like in a, in a hypothetical world where we're talking about systemic change, like what could it look like? And do we need the president? Why or not? I mean, I wanted to be like, why did you choose the president? Like, do we need anything? <laughs> like, do we need <laughs> investment banks? Do we need like the Senate? I don't know. Like, what, what, like, or why did you choose the president? That's the question. Well, I think because it's the, it's the, it's the touch point that we use to define the era that we're in and the field that we're playing on. So I feel and it's the election that's coming up. But I think that it, it, the implication is, yeah, what of what we have do we actually need? I think somebody needs to make those decisions. I don't care how long it takes for stop signs to go on and off. Like, you know, people, somebody, but who and why and what relationship do they have to the larger group? And for me, it's a, and the question is the consolidation. Can we not consolidate power down to such few people? And can we start to understand as a species that we don't do well with a lot of power at once? <laughs> yeah, I, I wholeheartedly feel that. And I I think it's about that. The one that, yeah, the idea that one, per, a human, one a person has the forethought and the wisdom and, and, and it's so infallible that they can lead everybody else without hurting anybody or 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 not just falling into their own fears and, and shit. It's just impossible. It's, 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 it's just impossible. So, but I do agree that jobs being delegated is okay. Yeah, like somebody, if you good at the lights and shit, or you like, you in the farming and you, you know, I'm a, like, like live your life purpose, but nobody should be telling you that's what that is. And, but we do need people to do certain things. Like, you know what I mean? It's a reason why we sitting here because this is what we good at and this is what we do. This is what we should be doing. Um, but but the idea of, of power being concentrated in one place, I think, I think the real question is what is power? And this is what I'm always thinking about constantly. What is power? And, and, and who, what do people do when they get it? Who's supposed to have it? I, and 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 how does it move through things? But because I think if we redefine power, because power from a Western standpoint is like, not only do I get to do what the fuck I want to, I get to tell you what to do. I think that's the defining thing about it. About the about this specific power that we always talking about is like, I get to tell you what to do. That's why certain people become police officers, and that's why certain people want to go into government, not because they get to do what they want to do. Because because that's what I want. I just want to be left alone, and I think that that's a difference fundamentally about how we as a, a society view power and how um, it could be if we if we redefine what power is, and it's not about um, a, a, an opposing force, but it's about self assurance and just being a, a, options, options to choose. Because because if you come from poverty, the whole the whole reason money is important is about options it's not because it's not for the love of paper or it's not it's not for uh just the 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 idea of it at least not for me I, I ain't never been in love with money you know what i'm saying but it's just about options that if my family needs something they got it if i get sick like that, that this that and the third and and that's power but that don't mean i got to take nothing from you and, and i think if um i think before we we 
I don't know if people be be even able to answer the question if we got one president, if they always thinking about power is, is something like that, that somebody needs to tell me what to do or I need to tell somebody else what to do. Um, but I definitely don't think we need no one person. I think it's a horrible idea. And I think a whole lot of this shit, we following things that's thousands of years old. <laughs> that Like people that wrote before they had toilet paper and shit. Why are we still even going off of this? The, the world is not the same. There are different problems. Um, there, are, there are different things. And I, and I think that we supposed to be smart enough to evolve and adapt to what's going on. And I don't think this system is working for us anymore. Yeah, I think I love the question of uh, what what institutions do we even need? I think, Sabah, I think you're you're thinking a little, maybe a lot further ahead than I usually think when I think about uh, these sort of changes. But I've been thinking a lot lately about I, I don't I don't know whether we need a president or not. I certainly don't need one. I, most democracies have some kind of executive branch, but we definitely don't need a Senate that gives outsized uh, amounts of power to uh, states that have populations smaller than Washington, D.C. We definitely don't need an electoral college. You know, there, I, I, I guess, and, and I don't think we need only nine justices on the Supreme Court. I think we need maybe more like 13 or 14. I don't know. Uh, so it, it's happened before. I think I, I'm interested to see where the, these are actually like three huge, potentially huge changes that are being like seriously debated right now. And I, I don't think it's the um, I don't I don't think it's impossible to imagine that that it might become politically possible to change one or all of those things. I mean, I don't know if we're going to abolish the Senate, but like. What if what if Puerto Rico and DC had statehood? You know, there there are certain things that are just so the gridlock is built into the system, but sometimes there are certain smaller changes that might be able to make huge uh, that might be able to make a huge difference in how things function. I, I mean, I don't know how it would work, but I'm I'm interested in those. Those are certain. There's certainly movements working on on those things in, in DC and elsewhere and. Well, you know, we'll see what happens, but um, could be interesting. <laughs> I mean, you know, in my perfect world of the future, like people would run things based on the fact that they're educated about those things. And like, there would be no, you know, and that would be like what was socially acceptable and publicly understood and like, Maybe I'm thinking of sort of a cultural thing, like thing, but it would be something where, like, if you said grab them by the pussy, like, you would be out of there and it would just be a no brainer, you know? Like, there's just been so many, like, the adults in the room is such a great, like, statement and just capsule for this conversation because there's just been so many moments where, like, my heart has been broken that, like, we can, there's no intervention that matches how egregious. And I think that, like, that what, I feel like what we need to learn from this is that, like, it's just how egregious and absurd things can be so that we have checks that can actually respond because it feels like we have no built-in response to the abuse of power as we as if we thought someone would never try to you know use their power to their own advantage and it, i think it's this like beautiful aspect of the american dream and this patriotism but that like like you put it so well at the beginning Allison, like it's time to let go like it's time to let go of the idea that 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 <laughs> we're in the new era, like we're in that post-facts era. <laughs> totally, and and thinking about like 
changes that need to be made on a structural level as opposed to like a personnel or casting level is like just my nightly rant like at home you know like and and I'm not like uniquely intelligent or qualified you know like I feel like that must mean a lot of people can see that now um so you know maybe there is an opportunity like you know for movements that have been having these discussions to like actually get there um I was also thinking about how um what you guys did in whose streets or Damon, what you said about what you wanted to show, you know, like the truth or the story, you know, the, 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 the perspective that you wanted to show about showing black people being intelligent, doing, you know, living their lives. I feel like in a way I was thinking about it with, with filming Bannon and with putting together the brink. I think one of the things I wanted to show was that he is, a product of the same systems that, you know, that other people who, you know, certainly liberals or, you know, respectable adults call the adults in the room. Like he's from the Navy, he's from Goldman Sachs. He's like hanging out with, you know, other people who are have those kinds of pedigrees. And I think to me, the reason it was, um, it's like a really challenging film for people to watch or to want to watch. And a lot of people would say, oh, it's because like, I don't wanna watch him or I don't wanna look at him. Or also I was creeped out that he was like, you know, he, he had charisma. And I think like a big thing that's crazy is like when you imagine, when, when some people imagine like they're bad guys, they really wanna render them as this like devil and this, you know, this thing that's like from outside the norms and outside the system or like, you know, outside of even like being a human, you know? And like, he's like the most, you know, like the moment he, he I first met him, you know, and I didn't know what he would be like in person. It was like, uh, I was, I was really struck by that too. I was like, damn, he's like, kind of avuncular you know and he's like got a certain way with people and it's like that's the whole kind of point um and and so i feel like you know at every turn and it's just such a a fine line and i feel like also there isn't as much sophistication sometimes in watching this kind of work where i feel like there's this fine line and a lot of people are quick to sort of be like oh are you trying to like humanize him or like oh i don't want to engage with it and i I, I, I mean, obviously that was a project that I chose to take on. And so it was like a thing, obviously a thing that I believed in. Um, and I'm definitely like, you could spend 90 minutes. I spent a fuckload more time to like boil it down to an entertaining narrative in like 90 minutes for you. And like, by the way, like, you know, he kind of loses a little bit at, you know, at the end with uh, it's sort of like the flip side was Rachel's film. I felt like such a spiritual connection when I like to her being out there with AOC and I was like, you know, and, and uh, yeah. Um, but just to say that like, yeah, I felt like it was like the reverse. Like I, I also, I too wanted to show someone at, in like a very real, real or like everyday way because I thought that that was something that was really important and everyday meaning like also coming from the same like systems of like power and privilege and like his worldview yes is like skewed but also it's like 
kind of just, he was willing to pursue power and enrichment in like a very naked way and to like weaponize it and to kind of have no bottom, but he's really not like a being from outside of the whole system that we're in. From outer space, yeah. You're dropping so much game. So many things you just said is is my life mantra. Like I I I believe the devil can come in any package. Like like that's the scary thing is that like evil can everybody's capable of it, right? And and also everybody's drinking the same Kool Aid. Um, totally, like that I yeah. totally feel you. I'm just gonna yeah. say that out loud. Yeah, yeah. everybody's the podcast sick. Listeners. <laughs> yeah, everybody's sick. I might have it a little bit more than you. I might be terminal. You might just had a flu, but everybody's sick and everybody can be evil. And 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 the thing, and 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 morality is is um is is from is from a point of view. So so even if the system, if we talking about a system and reform and all of that shit, that just means we switching people out. The the system is only as good as the how deeply um loving the people are, like for each other. Like that's the only, that it's only as good as that. And like Sabah was saying, like grabbing by the pussy should have been, that's what I thought. I was like, this shit is over with. It's, it's right before the election, this shit is over with. That's, this, this is, you know what I'm saying? This is the three pointer, one second on the clock, there's nothing they can do. Nah, nah, because the, the people don't give a shit about that. And, that. and that's the thing that showed me that like, nah, it's much deeper than the morality that we all been taught. It's about how we all move in it, right? And, and so, um, anybody anybody could be evil so it's very hard to to put a bunch of power in one person's hands because if 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 they got it you know what what's the like the, the real thing is what's to stop you if if you just like just me just talk to smart people if you the smartest motherfucker in the room what what why would you stop and this ain't this ain't morality here this is just like numbers why why would you stop if i could do whatever i wanted to to anybody if i can talk anybody to in in anything if I could get them, because I think that's the, the smarter you are, the more susceptible you are to to uh, being a bad person. So that's why I don't believe that Trump is stupid and, and Bush was stupid. I don't think that these people are stupid. I think they understand human beings. They might not understand p political policy, but Trump definitely knows how to move people. He's been doing it for he Trump been on TV being a dumbass before I was born. He's been on TV moving people back and forth however he wants to. Uh, building personas, building a brand before brand was a word that we used in a common lexicon, right? So for us to think that he that he's stupid about what he's doing, or the, or, or 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 that he um, doesn't know what he's doing is, is crazy. Ill intent is a different thing, but 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 it's just so much. Um, it's, just, it's it's just so much that we leave up to this black and white view of morality, and 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 we get got because. We looking for for every for, for a movie ending because I don't know I thought it was just because I make movies but the whole world is looking for that for oh the bad guys right. being a bad guy right. and somebody's going totally. a superhero's going to come in but there ain't no superhero to come in it ain't yeah if we don't stand up then they're going to do what they want to and they showing you that no it's absolutely real and one of the things that just blows my mind in this situation is like. You know, I think it ultimately it comes down to all those cliches about the revolution starts from within and all that. It's absolutely true because how did Trump learn these tactics in his own house? That's how anybody learns anything that they go out in the world and do. And so it's, as long as our families keep passing on toxicity, you know, that, and so that's, what, that's another thing that gives me hope is that we all have our very own front line. 
you know, that we can get very active on, as active as we want to get, to, to, to both of your points about the fact that we're all capable of evil. I don't think that, I think that, you know, if you're truly smart, which is to say wise, you understand that evil is not a very actually smart way to be and the planet is burning up for everybody because of it. But, at the, you know, so the, with the idea that they're winning, you know, is really a big joke at the end of the day. But the thing that really blows mind out of everything right now, in particular in this moment, is the amount of innocence that is read onto white bodies. The amount of shit that white people can do and still be seen as innocent, it just, I, I just today in particular, that is just really blowing my mind and, and seeing the way that Donald Trump is covered and the way these quote unquote outright, these Nazis, these people, and just the fairness, the balance, the I mean, not the, the fashion covers, I mean, the way in which this country just loves whiteness and it's such a stark contrast with what black people are going through and I think that like when I think about do, taking an action like statehood for Puerto Rico you know because anti-blackness is not necessarily just that directed toward black people I personally feel that anti-blackness and and white supremacy are just kind of approximations of something that we're talking about so imagine making Puerto Rico a state without addressing anti-blackness. And what does that do when you try to incorporate an entire body of people into another body that is racist? And how and what kind of colonial trauma that can we be looking at in the 21st, you know, century? Like these problems, these are the things that actually prevent, um, you know, the the people. These are the reasons why replacing people within the system is not going to work because we carry with us exactly what you're saying. We, we drank the Kool-Aid, we're sick with the same flu. And just because I'm a black woman doesn't prevent me from being anti-black. It doesn't prevent me from being any other, other phobics that I could be. It doesn't stop anything, just whatever identity package that we come in. And so just, you know, I'm really, really concerned. I was, my focus was neuroscience and behavior when I was pre-med. And for me, the documentary film, I've always just really been concerned with how do people work, operate, make decisions, the why. And I just feel so certain that, like, there is a mental health and a psychological and emotional revolution that is, no, that is so part and parcel of this political conversation. Like, we have to heal as a country. Like, we are crazy. And when we see our media, like just top to bottom, the violence, the sex, the everything, like it is out of control. And I look, and it's crazy because I'm wild and I love everything freaky, weird and crazy and ratchet and chaotic. But at the same time, like we have to look at healing and we have to look at how are we healing kids. We have to look at how is breathing can that become part of our culture. Like we have to look at the real nitty gritty of this because it feels like this electoral timeline now and this arc of justice is out of pace with the natural timeline. And so we could be as optimistic as we want about the system. And if we had a billion years, we might get there inch by inch. But obviously, things are coming. And so I've been like, how can I even just help people mentally prepare for if we do get into the worst case scenario? How can we keep our spirit intact? Because we don't have to disintegrate. It doesn't have to be... Our world doesn't have to come crashing down just because our environment shifts, just because our society, as we know it, changes. We can actually we have something within us that can actually be totally invincible and totally impervious to that. You know what I mean? That deeper love and that deeper self. And so that's really where it, it always comes down and comes back to, to me, but it's really challenging to love yourself in a world where 
if you don't have somebody like my mom and you're, you're telling you you're beautiful and you turn on the TV and you see white people <laughs> literally just, it, it feels like when you at the zoo and the monkey just throws some shit at the screen. Like, that's how I feel when I see, like, this charade of, like, <laughs> of, like, what is being allowed to go on. It's crazy. There are no adults in the room. That's all I can say. <laughs> Yeah, including us, because I thought I was going to get to a certain age and I was going to know what the fuck to do. But I, lo and behold, that ain't not like, like, you'd be like, I'm going to grow up, I'm going to be grown and everything. Going, I'm going to do whatever I want to. And I'm going to know. Nah, nigga. Like, that's why I don't even lie to my nephews no more. Like, nah, bro, you just going to be big and then you're going to be tired and you still ain't going to know what to do, man. And you're going to have bills and you're not, you know, you're still going to be trying to figure it out, you know? So, so that's why no one person back to the full full circle, mm. no one person should be in charge of this. We should have a group, a body of people, you know what I'm saying? Tried and true to talk about this. Cause no, I do not, I, I am grown. If after this, I'm gonna be old. I'm as grown as I'm gonna get from being old. So now, no, nobody knows what's going on. So all of you in your films in different ways, like have like pretty hard indictments on mainstream media, you know? Um, in whose streets is pretty obvious, <laughs> like, how the protesters are portrayed. Um, Allison, in The Brink, it was so squeamish to me the first time I watched it, seeing how cozy some of the journalists were with Bannon, you know? I was like, is this really how it is? And then- That goes, that goes to what Sabaja said about like what people get away with. It's just truly insane. And um, Rachel, how uh, Knock Down the House starts, you know, <laughs> with, Alexandria representative, um, Alexandria talking about um, like how the media is gonna treat her because she's a woman, you know? And we've seen it happen. But I'm just curious, cause I know enough about the process of um, the, the filmmaking and like for all those films, it's like, it's exhausting just watching <laughs> the end results knowing what you guys put in to make it. And um, I know how you know busy you are right now working on film. I'm just curious, like, how do you um, sustain it? Are you thinking as an activist at, while you're out there doing it? Is that what keeps it going? You know, I'm just curious about like your creative process in that sense. Rachel. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think I I get a lot of energy from the people that I'm working with on the film. I mean, both both film collaborators and the people who are in who are in the film. I'm, I'm working right now on a a new project about the Green New Deal, um, and so I I feel like I'm. I don't know. I mean, it's like scale wise. I, I, I made this before Knock Down the House. I made a film about um, uh, restaurant workers organizing in New York. And so it's kind of like larger scales uh, sequentially. And I don't know. I mean, I, I get a lot. Well, I was going to say I get a lot of energy from my son. He's four. So, but I do not get energy from him. He <laughs> takes all of my energy, but, um, <laughs> but it, in a sense, like, that's why I'm doing these projects, right? Like there is a motivation there. Like, I feel like I've got to, I brought him into this world. I've got to do what I can to, to see about, you know, to believe that, that something better is possible and to be part of making it. Um, 
And you feel like um, filmmaking, documentary filmmaking is part of that? Yeah, I mean, I, I, for me, I, I've, I fell in love with documentary precisely because it was collage. I kind of had a collage track to my whole life doing a lot of different things. And I, I felt like, wow, when I found that I didn't start making documentaries till I was in my mid twenties. And I just uh, realized like, oh, I can do everything I care about in this one thing. Um, and I think that it, it was a while before I became really, it was a couple of years after that, that I got really involved in like on the ground social movement stuff. And it, it was a natural fit for me to just start making films about movements. And I don't know that that's the only kind of film I'll ever make, but I'm definitely in that right now. And, um, and it feels, sometimes it feels like it's a bit long-term, but then the scale that we've been talking about tonight, it's actually very short-term. I'm talking about a film coming out in like two years, right? That's uh, how, what what can, what will have changed by then? Like, who knows? <laughs> Maybe nothing, but um, uh, we'll probably still have a president, sadly. But um, <laughs> in any case, I, yeah, no, I mean, I, I'm, I'm really committed to that. To, to me, it's a, I really think about sort of every aspect of filmmaking. There's there's politics in every aspect of it. There's politics in uh, the in who is telling the stories, in who, in what the relationship is between uh, the people who are telling the stories and the people who are on screen, whether it's the same people or not. Uh, what you know, some some people appear in their films, others don't. You know, I think there's there's different ways to do it, but. Uh, who's who's behind the camera who's hired in the crew who's brought in for comments uh and and who is who you aim your films at through distribution as well i mean i think uh to me the whole distribution process is uh is hugely political in the sense of uh, who do you want this film to reach and and how are you telling your story in a way that it can reach the people that you want to reach. I try to make films that can be appreciated by people who don't usually watch documentaries, right? That means a lot to me. Um, some people might ca have called some of my films populist in like a bad way, but for, for me, that's a good thing. It's bad when Bannon says it, but it, it's good good when I say it. Um, <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I mean well by it. You know, I, I mean that, that I want it to be accessible to as many people as possible and to, to put in different layers. So there's, there's like a human level that people can relate to and there's structural levels that if you're, if you're more into that and you're looking at, you're looking for the structural side of thing, you can engage with that. So I, I think there's a lot of potential there in filmmaking enough for me to stick with it. I don't know. <laughs> Um, speaking of distribution, somebody in the comments had a question about whose streets. Um, for whose streets, I'm assuming you didn't have distribution before you made the film. Can you talk about how distribution came together for you? I mean, it's... Um, no, we didn't have distribution before the film. and We had the opportunity to have it, but we decided that it was more important to us to have final cut over the film um, because of our relationship to the community, which was a crazy, at the time that was a crazy decision. Like we had no idea what, what was going to come after that. Uh, and then we got into Sundance and we sold it at Sundance and it was pretty, you know, somewhat of a traditional process. Um, I think there's a lot to be said about what a traditional process means for a, commu uh, 
a film that's designed for the community by the community. And we certainly had a lot of adventures making sure it got back to the community. Um, and a lot of partners, POV, definitely supported with that. And just people worldwide who really wanted to see the film and, and were calling for it. But that Sundance, that film festival, you know, th speaking of, you know, the importance of structures and systems and, and how complicated, you know, relationships could be, that film festival, very mainstream, was really the launching board and the springboard that allowed the film to travel to a lot of different places. So, um, yeah, just it just makes me aware of how it's easy to kind of rail against things, systems and things and call for change. But when we look at the ways in which our lives and our work can be embedded with them, it's a lot more complicated. After being in the industry for years, I'm still shocked about how, like, arcane thing, not arcane, like inaccessible information is. And I, def <laughs> I definitely feel like it needs to be demystified, just like how people need to talk about how much they get paid. And we all need to talk about hidden things more, just the whole process of filmmaking in general, I think. Um, I don't know why I'm continually surprised by how how much I'm always surprised that I don't know, even having, even working in film. Um, Allison, does uh, documentary filmmaking still excite you? Um, does it feel meaningful? I mean, why am I in an Airbnb in Ohio? <laughs> if not, yes. Um, well, what I wanted to say, at this point, what was it? Oh, it's like going back a few comments, but the notion of like, you know, ha having the wisdom or like thinking one day, you know, then you have the answers. I mean, I think I studied history, you know, the last time I was a student <laughs> and I feel like um, if it like taught me anything, it's just how much you don't know and how much how important it is to ask better questions, but how humble I like feel about giving any answers. And I feel like I'm always trying to, but that's not the same as like having a point of view or having like points to make. So I always try not to like take away from the idea, you know, again, we're not just like going out there and filming things and slapping them together. And like, I mean, I feel like there's a lot of like deep thought and there's a lot that I like want to say with films where I also you know even in films where I want to feel like people are kind of seeing through me too and just like they're there you know I think sometimes the films that I do I want it to feel like you're getting to you're getting to like be in the room or to be with people or to struggle with the questions you know directly um but I there's so much, everything is a decision and that, you know, I have made or my team with me creatively, we have made to like bring you there. Um, and I just think like, if there's anything that the films are trying to do for me, it's like just to ask better questions, like to bring people to ask the questions I want them to ask. And I don't always know, I don't think of it as like, I want them to come away with the answers that I have, although like, I mean, sometimes I guess you hope that it's like, 
they agree with some fundamental things or they've come to see something a certain way. But I really think of that as like a bonus or like a gravy. If that happens, great. But like the real thing is, did I like make them realize that something was a little more complicated in a particular way that they might not have thought of before? Like, that's just how I see what I do. And I think I struggle with it a lot where I'm like, should I be saying that I'm have like this whole thing of like having a take or having a point of view. And it's again, I mean, I know that I am because I know that when I make films, I know that it could have been made a million different ways. And I know, and you know, thankfully I always look back and it does come down to that creative control and final cut. You want to be able to look back and be like, that was my film. That was the film that I, whether it's the one you thought you were going to make, or it's the one that, you know, you chose to make at, by the end. Um, but I think it's like about having leading people to like, yeah, I guess I just approach it with that, with the same statement that Damon had of like, you know, I, what does it mean to like be grow? I, I just think what you said has a lot of wisdom. The wisdom is knowing that like, you don't necessarily have all the answers, but I think like uh, there's a lot to contribute even within the framework of like, just asking like better questions like Savaya, you just did, you know? Well, people like you guys should be president, right? <laughs> you're, you're not dictating. You just want yeah, people to purpose. Somebody's <laughs> president. It corrupts. Um, Can I just say one thing off Allison is that uh, you were talking about wrestling with the idea of having a point of view or a take. I I really do not believe in objectivity. I I think everybody has. I think we should embrace that, and I I think it's so. I mean. I, I agree with everything you said about the, uh, you know, the, the process and the, the importance of that, that final cut and everything. But I, you know, I, I've struggled with, with talking about that in the context of releasing a film about politics and, you know, a distributor that doesn't want me to seem too partisan or whatever, but. Um, well, or it's about the audience, right? Like I want people to feel like they can come and not write it off at the beginning. Well, exactly. They, they know exactly what I want them to think. And I feel like that can close off so much. Right, right. You know? yeah, so it's yeah. like a strategy. It, you want to be way. taken seriously as, uh, as someone who is independent from the people you were making a film about. I mean, I think it's it's more obvious in your case that in, in the case of The Brink that you were independent from that. Um, you know, I, I was, you know, working sort of in solidarity with the people I was filming for Knock Down the House, but I had to make very, very clear to them that I wasn't going to give them footage for their ads. You know, this is, this, this independence is there. But at the same time, when I'm talking to, if people ask me like, how could you, you know, did you ever feel anything about the races you were following I mean I don't know this idea that you could just you know be going through a process of making a film about this incredibly intense material as any of our films are about and like not have a feeling or a point of view on that or thoughts about it that's insane and and anybody who claims I mean there, there's different shades of uh of how how perspective and positionality works its way into our our work and to anybody's work or statements but I think I want to I, I want our field to move away from from the idea of false balance or or just the or the both sides ism I mean it's we do evidence-based work right totally. we we go there we see what's what's going on maybe we come from the place where we're making a film about or, and it's 
We're yeah, putting no, I, together with integrity, right? I totally agree. I feel like though the notion that there's like an answer or like a specific call to action, I guess that's the thing that just for me, like I don't see, yeah, I like it's hard for me to imagine. I, I don't get excited, I'll say. I don't get excited about making films if I think that's like the particular end. Um, even though I could be like, there's a whole category of, you know, actions that would be what I would love for people to do. But honestly, it's, it comes down to that power thing. Like, I don't know. I don't see myself as like here to give people like answers or action items. But at the same time, obviously, I think that, you know, my, I like documentary because I feel like I want to go out and grapple with questions. And then I think I have, I, I think people should watch what I make <laughs> as I grapple with it to like, you know, guide their thinking as well. Um, yeah, but definitely not ob objective. I also don't think that there's any, or if there, yeah, that's, that's like a ludicrous term. But I think in terms of how you position why you make a film or, you know, when you choose, you know, how you choose to say things, it might affect how people see your film as like approachable or not. So sometimes that can be strategic uh, at times, or even as you're making it too. When, when I hear objective, I hear like a white guy made this. It's like the, that's the white lens. Is object. That's that's the that's the baseline. Is that a white dude made yeah. it? So it must and it's be bullshit. It, it's yeah, like it's, and it's yeah, a vestige and it of liberalism. Be, yeah, hundred yeah. percent. And so it must be. Yeah. And what's wrong with turning people off that don't want to hear what you got to say? They they didn't have they say, and that's what they watch every day, and they happy with it, you know. And, and so like, what's wrong with um, not not saying anything's wrong with it, but I'm saying like, that's something I'm not personally worried about no more. I'm making stuff for people like me because those people haven't had it yet. And I and, and until we get to a balance, which could come at any time, it's just the scales is pretty far on the other side right now. So that me personally, it's, it's okay if they if they don't get it. And I think that, um I think that people think that they gonna come in and get something that they want. That's the bigger, that's the better surprise and the fun is that you thought you was gonna come in because you thought I was one way. And then you left with something else. You know what I mean? So it's it's a it's a it's a it's a, it's a tightrope we walking when, when you're creative because people could shit on you at any time. You mm -hmm. know? And they do. I, yeah. And they do. I agree. <laughs> I agree with everything that's being said about objectivity. I think it's a it's a, a cover word and a proxy for so many other ideas. I think for me, transparency is the antidote to objectivity. If the implication is that, you know, there's some kind of wrongdoing in the perspective, then let's just be transparent about what it is. You know, that's part of why you see Damon in the in the movie. That's part of why you hear my voice in the beginning, because you understand that we're right next to these people looking at it, how they're looking at it. And that's just what it is. And I think, you know, objectivity is also this really, this is when like, you know, the, the systems of domination in our country start to really mirror like an abusive relationship. Like, have you ever had somebody do you wrong and then demand that you remember that they're still the good guy? It's like that, like you have to excuse the wrongdoing or you're not being fair. And it's like, even if, even if an excuse exists, which I think there are so many of these atrocities, which it does not, why is it my responsibility to make that excuse? Why is it my responsibility to defend the person that is my aggressor. And I think that like, there's a way in which we as people, I think just going through the motions, like 
If it's journalism, sure, and there was a fire, like, I don't necessarily need your extra two cents personal perspective about the fire that happened, you know? But, yeah. like, I think it's just, we follow this track, we heard objectivity was a good thing, and we don't ask any questions about it. What does it mean, and, and is it serving us? And I think, like, the media, like, we have to ask, like, is our media landscape even serving us anymore? Because it's like, if you have the ability and the access to do all this reporting, and have all this objectivity and like the country's on fire. That's just the question that I, I um, what's that like? <laughs> that's just the question that I have. <laughs> Are we in trouble? Perfect timing. It was perfect timing where you was going. He popped in like, nope, y'all talking too much shit over here. <laughs> Be done with that one. <laughs> <laughs> nope, well, not on my watch. Well, I was gonna say too, like with with um, distribution. I mean, when you said transparency, also something that had been on my mind a lot coming into this conversation was about like the business end and the distribution end, and like um, you know, I didn't know where if we would get there but yeah I mean well I don't know if I should like if it, it, it do you I don't want to put anyone on the spot but like working no, with you, like, no. you know <laughs> like working with big um distribution platforms like Netflix and having like you know independent voices or political topics um you know there's a real like devil's bargain there where you're like, cool, this is a way to like really reach a lot of people. And um, also if they have a lot of money and they're at this point, you know, putting money into stuff in advance, but then, you know, what does that do in the back end? I mean, we don't necessarily, and it's late to like start a new thread, but I just feel like that is something that when I think about what excites me about documentary, it also like really bums me out of like where it's all going. Cause I feel like some of the flourishing of this moment and the opportunities and the audience, it like feels like it has a real, um, you know, like it's, it's, it's just like everything else in our system in like a capitalist system. Like it has that built-in fucking flaw, you know, it has that built-in thing that like, you know, is about power and is about like enriching certain people and wanting to have like you know that that works out with less transparency or that work and it's just a lot of stuff that feels like it's too bad that you know it's like one way that the work we do can be having a moment because like I mean I think we're all roughly the same age so we have some sense that like the field we're operating in, it's super different than it was, you know, 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 30 years ago, even if we weren't part of it. But like, it feels like there's a lot of problems. Mm -hmm. Here's my other thing I want to put out into the universe for the future. I've always found it to be really arbitrary who has enough money to decide to make a bet on the film, on a film. And I think that particularly in the case of documentary and even more particularly in the case of documentary that concerns communities, that communities somehow need to be the decision makers of what stories are told and by whom. And I think that that should be achievable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Agreed. I think community funds should go to go to these things, especially if you're speaking for the community. And that'll keep your ass a whole lot more honest. Because if the money coming from the people you're gonna have to see again, just like with Who Streets, I got I still, yo, I'm still at the crib. You feel what I'm saying? So it's like, yeah, so all of that shit, that shit still that shit gotta hold up every single day. And if mm. it don't, people know they they got my number. You know what I mean? And so that kept us, that put us in a different place from Jump Street. And mm. so like if 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 you're not that, that's the whole outsider, and, and that's the dichotomy of this whole fucking objects, objectivity bullshit. So, so in, in, in one way, they're telling you that they want to hear voices from the community and the people. So, you know, it's not going to be objective. You know that. If, I, if I'm from the place, no, you, you want to hear my side of the story. That means it's a side. That means it's not objective. But at the same time, if you were holding the, the purse strings to everything and, and some might make you uncomfortable, then it's, it gets diluted. So, so, um, so I think that's a great point. So by, and, but in other countries I've learned, and this might be myth, that the government takes care of artists, right? They got this money for people to make things <laughs> and, and they don't get fucked with while making it. And this happens in other places. This is amazing. <laughs> <laughs> this is an amazing idea, and I think that's it's a public service where we we create culture. Because when when empires fall, the only thing that's left is the culture. Mm. So we 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 making it. So so if you really care about about the place that you're building, you would invest in the culture. Um, but that that might be a legend. I got I don't live nowhere else but the U.S. and I ain't never seen that in my life. So thank you for bringing that up, Damon. I I. I can attest that it's true. I've seen it. I've talked to the people that have gotten some of those grants. No, I'm, yeah, I, I wrote it before I was a filmmaker. I was studying at the project. I wrote a dissertation about cultural policy in Latin America. And it's, it's a thing. I mean, I think that should be part, that's part of my more like medium term <laughs> uh, utopian vision is a, you know, we have a society that values independent film and independent art. Um, and you know, the way the way uh, government funding is structured in a lot of other countries is to specifically support voices and approaches that the market would not support, right? And that's exactly what, you know, getting back to what Allison was saying about what the what the, the choices are, you know, if you're, if you're going to take uh, funding from a distributor up front, then you do have to give up some of your editorial control. I've made the same choices as Sabah and Damon to, um, to avoid that, to keep my final cut. Um, and I'm committed to con continuing uh, that path, especially for, for projects that, that involve these, you know, what I consider to be sensitive topics that I, you know, really concerned about what the meddling might be. Um, so I, th I think that it would be amazing to uh, to have that kind of support in this country. Um, I, it's the richest country in the history of the world. There's no reason why that shouldn't exist here. Well, they say. Mm. Although I will say, and I don't know if anyone else has experienced this, like it has been a time of turmoil. It has been a time of, of turning in and turning down and turning off and chaos. But a lot of people, myself included, and people around me have been being, you know, in the context of the ways that we still find to connect to each other amidst this pandemic, have been being celebrated, have been being seen, have been being compensated. And I'm not saying that we've arrived, but I do, 
I can feel in my own life and I can see reflecting other people's life that the culture, the cultural change that we've been trying to make as people who believe in a just and peaceful world, it does have an impact. And I think we can't underestimate the strength of this, this moment of kind of like reflection and introspection. And I also think we're a generation that's coming. I remember that, that when I was young, whenever we would talk about changing things, everybody used to say, communism does, didn't work. And I didn't, and, and I wasn't until my like early twenties that I realized that like, I studied communism in high school, but like, I didn't really know what anybody meant by that. And I was never proposing communism. And, and why was I in arguments about communism? You know what I mean? So now I feel like now that we're older and we're starting to really step into time to take the wheel, like we can start having real conversations that are not so bogged down in the traumas of, you know, people that have past generations. Yeah. Them, you know, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I, I wholeheartedly agree. I, um, especially with the part about, I visibly see that my life has changed and the, and the, and the, and the messages that I put out, people do are very receptive to, and people are getting it. My, my the thing that I wrestle with is that like, I still stay around the people I grew up with and I'm the one moving up and they not. So I, I need to, I, I also keep in mind, that my personal mobility, I gotta see some more motherfuckers like me, uh, like like they shit gotta change before I before I um, change my tune. And and I don't, though I'm still grateful, I'm grateful for for this and for the, for for me to be able to talk for them and speak to this shit. But like my homies still still need help. But now, I'm, but one thing is different. I can do it now, and they don't gotta uh, they don't gotta do nothing that they didn't that they didn't want to do before and they ain't gotta um you know degrade themselves and none of that weird shit because now I got I got more resources um than I used to have. Um and so I I, I wanna be I, I just try to keep mindful that like um my I, my personal shit is one thing but but us as a group is a bit is a different thing. And so um and they and they go together because I'm a part of the group. Uh, you know what I'm saying? So it's, it's just a weird thing that I be wrestling with. And that might just be my own whatever imposter sin, whatever that shit is, you know. But, but uh, also, fighting, it also feels that. tenuous, right? Like you yeah. can always be like. At any moment. Because, yeah, yeah, at any yeah, moment. At any moment, it, it could be over. And um, yeah. and I also, I'm grateful for that too. I'm, I'm grateful for that level of uh, on the ground, like like my feet on, not on the ground. Like I hate that. I hate that all these terms are now these fucking other things, like all of these words that we used to, they mean it, but I mean, um, a stability of, of this still being around, you know, the, the world that you come from. But I but I have the luxury to leave and go learn other things and go be and, and see other experiences. But I also think that that's, that's, that's not a bad thing to be able to, uh, to be able to talk to people that are still wrestling with the same shit that you didn't, because if you get too far away from that, you forget about those things and that's not a bad thing that's a natural thing like 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 one show when yo and that that's also a reason why people be like put if people ain't if people is toxic get them out of your life or you get them away from you but because out of sight out of mind is a real thing but um i i, I just I, i'm also grateful for that so i just be um trying to trying to balance those two things it's like what i got me and what we got we is just sometimes they the same sometimes they not um, and so, so that's what keep me hungry a lot of times too. 
I want to be mindful of people's time because I know you guys are working and they're four-year-olds and there's, you know, <laughs> yawning. But there was a process question from the, uh, an attendee that came specifically for Rachel, but I think it could work for all of you. Um, it was, how did you manage the process of following and unfolding election? Did you set up backups for possible outcomes? But just in general, like, how do you guys plan for capturing films with unknown outcomes? And Allison and Sabah and Damon, like, when did you know when to stop, you know, shooting? Yeah, I mean, for uh, for Knock Down the House, we uh, it was part of the casting process to pick four people whose primaries were on different days because uh, we knew we didn't have the resources to have multiple crews out. Um, so it was, it was a very scrappy production and uh, it was just uh, me and my husband and our then two-year-old traveling around the country and I was shooting everything. He was edit, starting the edit during the kids' naps and uh, wow, that's how we made Knock Down the House. <laughs> And, uh, and, you know, you're always with Verite films, you're always gaming out uh, possible scenarios and um, sort of thinking through what are you going to do if, if this happens or, you know, my current project, we've got like this sort of tree of different possible storylines, you, you know, imagining the way it might go. And I think um, that that's part of the fun of uh, following real life stories. It is hard to know, no matter what, it's hard to know when to end, even if you have something as decisive as an election in your film. You wanna answer that one? So bye. Yeah, we, I mean, we were, we were asking ourselves that for a minute and then we saw the scene that we were like, well, how do we get out of this? Yeah, we went a big plan <laughs> around that one. <laughs> And we saw Kenna uh, uh, get up on that those stairs and do that chant. We both just looked at each other immediately. Like, like, That's like the yeah, last shot. cue the music. And cue, then we kept the... shooting, but we knew that that was where we were going to land. Okay. But the one I'm yeah. working on now is actually quite a nightmare because, you know, it's around the Constitution and gender, and gender equality. And, like, Trump threw his hat in the other day. So this moment right now, it just... It's not what the story is focused on, but it just feels like oh, I'm in post, like about to start. I haven't locked picture yet, and I'm kind of like tiptoeing because I'm like, I don't know if I want to put a period on this sentence right now yeah. <laughs> in the middle of what's going on. Um, it's yeah, it's honestly it's kicking my ass if anybody wants to <laughs> step in. If there are any adults that want to come, to <laughs> any adults in the room, any adults want to come to me. <laughs> Rachel, I also love that you said the word casting in reference to a documentary. And I've never heard that. And I really appreciate that because I'm gonna start, yeah, like the cast. It's all process. about casting. A hundred percent. Yeah. I agree with everything that was said. And I feel like there's a point, I, I feel like there's a point in doing a verite film where it goes from thinking, I mean, you're gaming out a million different possibilities and you're just like, when will I have enough? When will I have a story? And it really turns on a dime and suddenly you're just like, oh shit, I have way too much. And like, that's like, <laughs> it, it's like one or the other. Um, and I feel like in films, you just, you sometimes have that moment where you know, oh, this is a scene that's gonna 
make this is in the film or this is the open or this is like the end or near the end. Like you just have those moments as you're filming. And then also you have moments that go great and you're like, this will definitely be in the film and it absolutely is not, you know? <laughs> um, so like that happens too, where you're very confident or you're following a storyline because you're really sure it's gonna, it's like gonna be important and you can get to the edit and be totally wrong. But there are those like special moments where you're like, Ooh, this, you know, you're basically like, this, this, this is a good tape, you know, <laughs> like this is, this is a good scene or like they're saying something that hits exactly what I want to say or what I want people to think about. Um, and then, you know, sometimes you go out to a moment and you're like, please let this be the big climax or the big scene, you know, or the finale. Um, the movie I did about Ai Weiwei which was my first film. So I was making it all up as I went and, you know, had been filming for like two and a half years. I definitely went to his big show in London and I was like, need a final shot. And he like brought his kid who was like one years old and they were like playing in the tape mod. I was like, oh, you know, I, I like, I came to be like, I need something that feels like the end <laughs> because, you know, this guy's going to keep going. I'm not waiting for him to like end. And then like a month and a half later, he got, you know, uh, his studio bulldozed and detained by the police and disappeared. And like, but the thing that was interesting with that was like, we, we, we considered rethinking everything, but actually the movie itself, I was pretty, I was like, I, I'll, I'll entertain it. No, I know the movie is what the movie has always been because it's the movie I wanted to do. It's his story of the last couple of years. Granted, I have no idea how to start it or how to end it right now, but like <laughs> the body of it, I was like, I don't think this needs to change at all because I think we had been staying so true to the story that we wanted to tell, which was like the essence of him and like everything about the essence of him in that moment led to what happened. So it wasn't like, oh no, now what do we do? You know, it was just a lot of conversation about like, do you acknowledge that he's been detained at the beginning or do you not, you know, like it was sort of a lot about how do you frame it in the beginning and the end. I also think we should be able to go back and redo our movies the way I get to redo songs and the way I get to redo pitches. I think, yo, <laughs> like I could, I should be able to drop some shit like five years later. If the world has changed, that's just, I should be able to do some remixing. That's all the I'm going to leave yeah. it there. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's hard. It's hard. It's a hard thought, but you could look at both. You know, yeah, like a side, b side. <laughs> yeah. It ain't um, over till it's over. Like you said, he didn't die. It ain't over till it's over. Keep moving. Um, so I'm gonna go around to everyone one last time because a question came in um, from an attendee, and I'm gonna ask a corny question too, um, and then you could just do it together. So Rachel, since I started with you, you can go first again. Um, they're asking, how do you stay sane and healthy as you work? And my, what I would also like, if you have any, like two film recommendations for people to watch, you know, let's okay. build a list. All right. Sane and healthy. Um, that's difficult and debatable, uh, whether it's happening, but, um, I have gotten really religious about exercising in the COVID lockdown. Uh, I, I do like online 
core workouts every every other day. <laughs> uh, it's definitely it's the only way I can keep up being a, a DP after having a kid and like all that sort of thing. Um, meditate when I can. Uh, really try to sleep. I'm not someone who functions without sleep. Uh, I don't like the whole one-upsmanship of like people bragging about how little sleep they got. That's good for you if you can do it. I will have like serious mental health issues if I don't sleep. Um, but uh, it's it's tough. I mean, I think I think connecting with with f friends and is trying to do that over these media or whatever is is very important to staying sane. And and these types of conversations, connecting with other like-minded filmmakers to talk about these sorts of things has really helped keep me sane as well. And film recommendations, um, I am not gonna think about it too long. I just saw this super mainstream. I just saw Knives Out, it's pretty good. Um, and I also really enjoyed, um, these are both fiction films, but I enjoyed uh, a film called Sama, Z-A-M-A -A, by Lucrecia Martel, who's an Argentine director I like a lot. It is, it's like, it's as if there were a documentary of colonial Paraguay and this like really like, uh, it just feels like it, it's hyper-realist uh, historical fiction that's super interesting. Sorry, Damon, and um, you, I think you're the only person who didn't talk any, about what you're doing now too. So if you wanna say anything about what you're doing now, working on now, in addition to the other questions. Uh, the, the, what, what movie recommendations? How do you stay sane and healthy if you do? Okay, and what am I working on now? Um, I don't think I'm sane or healthy. Uh, and I'm and I'm okay with that, because uh, when I look at people's standards of sane, both sane and healthy, um, by by American cultures, I don't think that either one of them are right. I I want to feel good until I die, and I don't want to feel sick and bad. And so I'm working on that. So I've been I've been also have been working out. That is not something I do. So I can tell you, been working on that, um, trying to do that, trying to trying to eat better. Um, and I feel a lot better. I also am not a person. I was I was raised in a black household, and um, yes, therapy is not something that we are okay with, and that's something that I am um, been working on personally, um, and in groups and shit like that. So trying to get that together, trying to be more open to that, and and working through that. Art has always been my therapy, and then now it has become my profession. Um, what am I working on? Like you see all this shit up here. So that I, I've been working on a um I'm at a writing residency right now for Indy Memphis. I've been working on um a narrative feature script. Um and it's a little it's a, I I'm in the magic. Um and so I've been I've been working on some. I guess it's uh I don't have a real genre for it. It should be funny, it should be scary, it should be life. So it should be a lot of things at once. Um and on that note movies uh i'm really into korean movies right now because they don't have a genre it's like they like the, the isolation whatever happened from like the the 90s to now like with uh bong joon ho and all his movies they don't have like and and, and we just getting parasite and so we think that's mind-blowing but 
I, I went back and like a lot of like two movies, uh, The Host is an amazing movie. Amazing, amazing <laughs> movie. Um, and also Mother. And they are both, and when we talk about stretching the boundaries of what documentary is, uh, it's not real by any means, but he's speaking about real, he's talking about America's presence in Korea and, and, and abroad and what they do to people. So I, I guess you could say that's a, that's a documentary thing. Also talks about family, what you, how far you would go for your family and what, what family really is. And so that, that's what I mean by telling the truth and a lie. And that's why I like um, the level of surrealism and stylization when I see a Korean film. So that's what I've been into. And it also is very good um, inspiration for the type of movie that I wanna make next. And as far as documentary, I'm working on a documentary about a friend of mine that's been on death row for over 30 years. So that's that's something I've been working on for quite some time. Um, yeah, and um, I'll be pitching it soon um, in the upcoming month, but still working on that. So 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 um, piece by piece, you know what I mean? Piece milling that one together. Allison? Um, how do you stay sane and healthy? And any movie you recommend? I also agree that's debatable. Um, and I have not been working out. I'm just going to make that confession right now. So, um, but baths, I took a lot of baths um, while, especially while I was working on the last film. That was a big thing. I haven't taken as many baths as therapy since I was working on the brink, but that helped a lot. And I, um, have watched a lot of like, you know, television that's like, you know, whatever it like comedy, soothing, whatever it is like, but I, again, I don't know if that's like healthy. Maybe that's just like turning off and like numbing. Um, and just hanging out outside with friends now is like just my favorite thing uh, to do less, less on like zoom, but just in real life outside. Um, and movies, uh, I'll shout out trying to think of what I've watched. Cause clearly I just watched like reruns of Seinfeld to, or something to feel better. Um, but, uh, 76 days is my friend Howe's film. That's like in the festival kind of circuit right now and will come out and it's about the first 76 days of, uh, of uh, COVID-19 in Wuhan. Uh, and it's just, uh, is two uh, Chinese directors who really, it's like the first time they made a film. One's anonymous, stayed anonymous to be safe. One, um, uh, you know, they both gave their footage to, to how and they put it together and it's really incredible. And it just takes you into the heart of it all at the beginning, even though, which is crazy that it feels like that's like a different world than what we're in right now, but um, it was just the first 76 days of this pandemic. So I definitely recommend watching that. And then, you know, watching like some reruns of Top Chef or something after that to like feel, feel better. I don't know, something that just totally- <laughs> Comfort gonna, food. Yeah, something something else. And Sabah, how do you stay sane and healthy? You're mute. 
I feel sane on like Tuesdays, you know, like I, <laughs> I, I feel like I have moments of clarity. When I have moments of clarity, you know, this I, I've taken this pandemic really seriously as an opportunity for, for some personal and internal healing and just moving through. Because I'm a person who really does repress my emotions for the most part. I love to work, like Damon, like artist therapy, work is therapy. I'd rather just leave it all out there, come home, fall asleep, and do it back again before I really want to sit in, like, what I feel, you know? So I've been doing that, and I've been realizing that, like, it's so crazy how you can have a whole filter of a mental narrative in between you and the reality of what's actually happening in front of you. And I think, because I'm 29, so it's that time of, you know, it's that time of life. So I keep that in a way that was really transformative for me. And I've started to be in this practice of, like, radical honesty with myself about, like, what's actually happening in front of me. And I feel very, more, I feel more sane than I probably have ever felt. I'm like, okay, like, we're growing. But it's also extremely lonely because when you start to see how many people are walking around inside of a mental bubble and not even really interfacing with the world, that's been a big paradigm shift. And so, you know, it's not for the faint of heart. I, I was talking to my therapist about it, and she was like, you know, you can't necessarily awaken uh, an adolescent. You know what I mean? Their brain is not even developed. So it's, it's yeah, that's how I stay sane. I'm really going into my mental health, really trying to practice what I preach and hoping that my body of work over time can offer something to people about how our personal psychology and our politics um, can be wielded as tools toward a better world. And movies to watch, um, I recommend Residue. Um, it's on Netflix, and it's a really, really beautiful film, really well done um, little movie. Jarima, what's his name? I don't remember his first name, Jarima is his last name. And then Hyla. this Tyler, Hyla Jerima? Is it Hyla Jerima? Or no? Not Hyla Jerima. Okay. No, not Hyla Okay. It's a younger person. Yeah, it's a it's a new film. And so, um, but shout out to Hyla Jerima all day every day. And then what was that one? Oh, bad hair. Bad hair by the dude who did Dear White People. And to be honest, Dear White People is not my jam. But bad hair was entertaining. It was scary. It hit. It was campy, but it was like had a good little plot to it. I, you know, if you got an afternoon to waste on a horror film, bad hair, fun. Residue is good. You should be like it's a bunch of movies named that, but it's um, don't isn't it Ava's company that distributes it? Or Ray, it, yeah, that? Ray did it with Yeah, that was a really good movie. That's a really good movie. And the dude's yeah. name is Jerema. I know he's Jerema Somebody James. texted me that it's his son, Haile's son. I don't know okay. if it's oh, true. Right. Wait, let's yeah, see. It, is, it is his son. Okay. Yeah, yep. Who's that voice? <laughs> <laughs> that's Aaron, that's Aaron. <laughs> yeah, it's, it is his son. Okay. He got um, a, uh, he's, he's pretty young, I think. Yeah, DC, right? Yeah. 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 Um, thank you so much, everyone. I wanted to be corny again and end with um, the end of Whose Streets, which got me mm -hmm. right here. <laughs> um, we must love and support each other. It is our duty to fight for our freedom. It is our duty to win. Mm -hmm. um, so thanks for giving so much of your time when you're all so busy. Yeah.
Such a great Thank call, you. you guys. Thank you so Thank you much. Thank you, everybody. Beautiful. Thank you all so much. Happy Thank Tuesday. you all. Take care. And everybody who's on the call, the podcast will be out tomorrow and share it with people because this is really important conversation that people should be listening to and having on their own. Um, so thank you all. Yeah, follow us online too. Yeah, everybody on yep. the call, follow them. Holla at them. <laughs> all right, Thanks, all. Have a great night. Take care. Hmm.